Today you get to hear a friend of mine. I'll tell you, judge, you judge me by my friends. I'll tell you if I want to know your story, I just need to meet your friends. Your friends tell me a lot more about you than you do. They tell me where your dreams are, what you watch on television, what you enjoy, what entertains you, the music you listen to, the words and the songs. All that tells me a lot about you. And so I often ask you to do that, judge me by my friends. And, and I, I really believe there are times when, um, when you meet people that are just nice people. They, you know, um, he's done all the great stuff. You know, he's um, been around the world. I'll tell you, we're going to have a little talk after the sermon. He'll talk about 30 minutes and then we'll have a, just a few minutes of Q&A. And, and I, I just um, I want you to understand it's, it's really a joy. He's made a great decision, an amazing decision. He has um, sold his cat, his dog, his, his um, chickens, everything he's got, his house. <laughs> and he is, uh, he is moving to uh, South Africa to be a missionary. Isn't that amazing? Come on, amen. Isn't that amazing? And uh, he has uh, grown kids, three grown kids, and, and two girls and a boy, and just an amazing uh, gift to, to a lot of people. He's written some great books. You'll see a little video in just a quick second that talks about the work he's done. He's been on all the national networks and Oprah and all, what are all the other stuff that you just, but that's, that's nice. But what's really great is he's just a great guy. I met him in Sacramento with a friend of mine, Bishop Parnell Lovelace's church. He's part of their, their eldership there. And, uh, and I've been to his home. Ron's just an incredible guy and his wife. So would you do me a favor, enjoy the message. You're going to be so blessed. He spoke last night and he spoke again today, but watch the video and then give him a big hand when he comes up. Watch the video. Watch the video first. Dr. Ron Elmore, a relationship therapist, ordained minister, and author of national bestsellers, including but not limited to How to Love a Black Man, How to Love a Black Woman, and Outrageous Commitment, The 48 Vows of an Indestructible Marriage, and No Nonsense Dating. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Public Relations and Journalism, a Master of Arts degree with concentrations in both theology and marriage and family counseling, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. Dr. Elmore has emerged as one of America's most popular media experts on love, marriage, and family, as evidenced in his many appearances on network and cable television and in every major radio market nationally. Overcoming by Faith Family, let's welcome Dr. Ron Elmore. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be here. Uh, we've been looking forward to this. This is not, Savannah is not a city I've been to, but once before in the past, it was years ago, it was only for one day. And to have friends before you come to Savannah, we have fallen in love with your pastor and first lady through their brief visit uh, to our church in Sacramento. We found that what you already know to be the case, uh, he's a unique kind of pastor, unique kind of brother. And his gifts were such a blessing to our staff and leadership as he did some work with us and some development work with staff and leadership and also his preaching and teaching at our church. And then as icing on the cake, we got to host Pastor Ricky in our home for dinner. And that was one of the most 
fun times I've ever had with a preacher uh, in all my days. And, uh, and then last year, the chance to meet uh, Lady Diane, and now to meet you all, to be here at Overcoming by Faith. I thank God for what he's doing with you and what he's doing through you. It's a unique place here, and therefore I can say with all sincerity on behalf of Eladrian and myself, we are glad to be here with you today. I thank God for your hospitality and your receptivity to the word, and I'd like to, uh, I've already experienced your hospitality, now I'd love for us to experience God's word together. So spend a few minutes studying today a topic that's not always talked about very much but it is perhaps one of the hardest relationship skills to develop. And in this case, I'm talking particularly in our relationship with God. It is perhaps, compared to what I'm going to talk about today, easy to work for him. It is relatively easy, compared to what I'm going to talk about today, to witness for him. And as we have experienced for the last hour or so, it's real easy. It's a real want to, to worship him. But I want to talk today about a relationship skill that's just as serious and important to him and beneficial to us as any of those, and that is the skill of waiting in relationship with God. I want to talk from the subject, take a seat in the waiting room. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 40. Lord, would you bless us by your word today? minister to us in ways that transform us, make us more like Jesus, and help us to understand you, to know you, to love you, to trust you, to depend upon you like never before. Advance us in our dependence upon a sovereign, loving God like you, and then cause it to stir in us the desire and the capacity to share you with others and to imitate you moment by moment and day by day. Now, Lord, hide me and glorify yourself. Speak your word in ways that make us more like you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. amen. In Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 27, on the subject of waiting, the prophet has spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Starting at verse 27, it reads like this. Why do you say, O Jacob, referring to the people of God? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak? O Israel, saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. My way is hidden from the Lord. And my just or my valid claim is being passed over by my God. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a mouthful of promises, and because it's the Word of God, it's absolutely true. To know that the end of the story and waiting for God to do what we ask God to do or to respond in whatever way that He chooses to respond, 
to know that waiting can be so difficult for us, it's such an encouragement to know that the end of the story is he renews the strength of those who wait upon him. I wish the end of the story was always those that wait upon the Lord, whatever it was you told him you were waiting on, he hooks you up with that. Not what it says. I wish it said, as soon as you tell him and you pray at least 30 minutes about it, you put at least an oily cross on your forehead, you touch and agree with at least one other person, there does not have to be a wait. It's going to be quick, it's going to be fast, it's going to be in a hurry, and it's going to be exactly the blessing, the deliverance, the rescue, the provision, the answer that you asked him for. But anybody who's worked with, walked with God for more than 20 minutes has found out that ain't really how he does it, does he? Very seldom do we, these days, back in church when I was a kid, it used to be a big deal. They'd have whole services called testimony services. And uh, invariably, it would mean anybody could get up and give a praise report, a testimony of what's happening in their life, what God has done. Invariably, like 110% of the time, when somebody asked for the microphone and came up front to give their testimony, it was always a testimony on the backside of whatever it was God had done. It was already completed by then, and they were testifying, look at God. And usually the kind of testimony that would make people really shout and carry on was the kind where God did it fast. Somebody would get up front and they'd say, first giving honor to God who is the head of my life. <laughs> Y'all remember that, right? And then they proceed to talk about, I was at the 31st of the month, and the, the bills were due on the 1st of the month, and I didn't have what I needed, and I needed exactly $1,437.22. I got down on my knees, and I prayed, and I asked God for $1,433.22. I got up and dusted off my knees. Let me show you how good God is. I looked out the front window. I saw the mailman coming up on the steps just like he'd done a million times before. He dropped the mail in the slot. My eyes saw the mail from Geico Insurance Company. I opened it up. Herewith is $1,437.22 refund for overpayment of your insurance premium. Saints, I just want to testify. He's a God who'll do it. And if you ask him right, he'll do it overnight. <laughs> Everybody's got a testimony like that, right? We've all seen he really is. It's not a lie. He is a God with the capacity and even the willingness to show us his quick, fast, in a hurry way of blessing us. Some of us have gotten up and testified and it was kind of a test of lie because we said... <laughs> We said was, I prayed, and the Lord did it within 24 hours, when if it's anything like me, how many of you have ever, you meant to pray, but you forgot to pray. I fell asleep, and I said, oh, Lord, it's too late now. I'm going to pray about this need as soon as I wake up in the morning. And sometime while I was asleep, before I even prayed, this quick, fast, and in a hurry, God answered and blessed us with the favor of not having to wait. You never hear anybody ask for the microphone to testify, first giving honor to God who is the head of my life. I want you to know I have been waiting till I'm sick of praying. I have been in the waiting room with God and I am confused now because I know he can do it fast. I'm noticing he's not doing it fast this time. 
I told him that I would lose my mind if he didn't answer this by such and such date. You ever given God a deadline? <laughs> then we proceed to prophesy to God about what's going to happen if he don't meet the need by the deadline. We're too scared of him to threaten him, but we just tell him, Lord, just respectfully, I want you to know, if you don't meet this need, this is a serious one, by the first, I could lose my mind. If you don't meet this need, Lord, I, I don't know where my faith will go. Lord, if you don't meet the need by the date this time, my testimony could go out the window. Well, what if God says, that's what I'm trying to get you to do is lose that mind you got. I'm trying to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And if it takes a weight to transform you, I'll do it. So if we walk with God more than 10 minutes, more than, though it is true, we don't testify to others about it. We have come in contact with this other side of our God who is a hybrid. He is not only fast, but he's also slow. He not only does exactly what you asked for, he does exceedingly abundantly beyond what you asked for. And if we tell the truth, he's a God who says no to what we asked for and blesses us with what I didn't even ask for in the first place. That means we'll change sooner than God does. His word says there is no shifting or changing. He's not as sometimey as we are. So I would suspect the adjusting to how God is, this quick and slow God, this prayer answering right now God, and this God who not only does he not do it fast, he doesn't even tell you the date he's going to do it by. We could take a seat and wait in the waiting room better. If God would just say, Ron, it's by November 17, 2016, the desperate needs you have that you have brought before me, you're not going to see anything till November 17. Well, if you told me the date, I could chill till November 17. <laughs> I could keep preaching. I could keep worshiping because I know this is funky right now, but November 17, my change is going to come. Life will be different and I pray and I try to get him to do it. I put enough oil to fry a chicken and he doesn't do it. I ask him, God, if I go to church, if I don't cuss the person out that I felt like cussing out, Lord, if I read more scripture and start in Genesis and end in Revelation, if I sow a big seed offering, Lord God, if I pronounce your word over my life, you wouldn't make me wait. And yet we find that there's a God who loves us and that doesn't change. There's a God who knows all things and that doesn't change. There's a God who makes and keeps precious promises in which in him all is yes and amen. But he's a God who will say, take a seat in the waiting room. The prophet Isaiah writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the people of God at a particular point in their history. It was at the point in their history where they had disobeyed God as they had done so many times in the past as God's covenant people where he says in the Old Testament, if you bless me, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me and follow after pagan gods, I will send curses upon you. It's on you. Make the choice. And as they so often did, they worshiped him and received his blessing. They disobeyed him and received his curses and his chastisement. It's the arrangement that God had with his covenant people in the Old Testament days. They had grace, they had mercy, but it was a kind of relationship with him where it was relationship by obedience. And your obedience had everything to do with 
whether or not God blessed abundantly or whether or not God left you in a position of chastisement and punishment for disobedience. That means that the point in their history that the prophet Isaiah writes these words, they had been in captivity to their oppressors, the Babylonians, a cruel enslavement, a kind of an apartheid system where they had to jump when the Babylonians said jump. They had to live removed from the land of promise that God had given to their forefathers to dwell in with his blessings and his presence. And they had been now for generations enslaved to their enemies, the Babylonians. And of course, they cried out out to God asking for deliverance, asking for uh, God to forgive them and to restore them to their land, and they waited. They waited for their great-grandmother's generation and then their grandmother's generation and then their mama's and daddy's generation. They waited. They asked God. The prophecy had come forth that he is going to do it. He's going to restore them, and yet they waited. Knowing that the enemy does incredible things in our mind, have you ever been in the waiting room with God yourself? Have you ever noticed the ways in which the enemy plays tricks on us and attempts to deceive us? Have you ever noticed how your waiting room experience, having told God what it was you need, having believed that God's promises are real and true, that he's spoken to you, and yet you're seeing no movement in that? Have you gotten to the point where it stirs our impatience, it stirs our pain, it stirs our confusion, it makes us wonder about God, did I understand you all these years, or are you different? Is this Christian church stuff really about something or is it superstition? God, how do I access you? I thought if I prayed and I believed, you're going to do it and you're going to do it by the time I said do it, that it couldn't be that you could love me like you love me and I could love you like I love you and life could be this hard. I know you said in your word that in this life there'll be tribulation, but it couldn't be this much tribulation, could it? And the God that we speak to and the God that we wait upon doesn't get nervous and jump. He's the only friend we got who doesn't have self-esteem issues. <laughs> He's the only friend we got who doesn't need therapy from me to help him from feeling rejected and abandoned when in the waiting room my prayers become short and ugly. And when all is well and God answers quickly, our prayers are long and beautiful. We sit up in the front row. We lift up our holy hands. We come to the Jesus place. We say to, sing to Jesus songs. We give a Jesus offering. We hug the Jesus people. Everything is very Jesus-y when we are not in the waiting room. When we are in the waiting room, and about a third of us are probably in the waiting room right now. Another third of us freshly got out of the waiting room. And the other third of us, you don't know it. You got a big grin on your face. But you are headed to the waiting room, <laughs> even as I speak. Because he's a God who is not just trying to give us another blessing from his hand, but he's trying to bless us to know the blesser himself. And there's nothing like waiting on God and struggling with the ways in which it makes me think, struggling with the ways in which it challenges our faith, challenges our conception of who he is, that grows us in intimately knowing him and depending upon him. We hate it, and we love what it does for us. 
So he speaks to the children of Israel, and he speaks to them at a point to convict them, to encourage them, to remind them of who God is. And I wish, uh, as I'm sure they did, wouldn't you wish that if the prophet were to speak from God to them during a time that they were waiting, wouldn't you wish that he would speak to tell them what day he's going to answer the need and deliver them, how he's going to do it, what they need to do or not do about it. Lord, if you just give me the facts and figures and the information, and he didn't. And for those of you in the waiting room right now, he's a real God, and he's really making you wait, isn't he? He's a real God, and you've really prayed your questions. You've poured out with sincerity your need, your burden, your problem, your desire, and yet he makes you wait. What if he's a God who is trying to show us not just another blessing, but another side of himself? What if it'll be like the last time you were in the waiting room? We hated it. We complained. In many ways, we, we, we wondered if God was ever going to show up. In many ways, it tested our faith. It tested our dependence. In many ways, we fell back on our flesh and going what we know. If I got a plan B, God, I tried waiting on you, but that didn't work out. I got to go with what I know. Now, when I finish this, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for the little moves I got to make right through here. You know my heart. I didn't mean it, but you also know you didn't do, so I had to do. And off we go, because the waiting room has become an unacceptable place in the body of Christ these days. Most books that are written and sermons that sell and uh, ministries that uh, take up many hours of TV time are ones that are based on how you can push a button and get God to do it, how you can place a demand on God, how if your faith looks like this, he's got to do that. If you pray this prayer, he's got to do that. If you do these three things, it's going to push a button. You want a breakthrough? Let me tell you, say this, read this, do this, throw oil over your shoulder, put some salt over the left shoulder, face the east, lay hands on yourself, and God obligated to do it and yet we've got this loving God who is a sovereign God and his sovereignty means he can do whatever he wants to do and his love means he's always doing what blesses us whether it feels like blessing or not and sometimes it's hard to reconcile the two and in the waiting room both sides of his character painfully come into our view so the prophet says to them he says to them and encourages them in ways that are an encouragement to me. Look what he says. He says, why do you say, O people of God, the very thing that I say to myself, not aloud, but when I'm in the rating room, and perhaps you have too, why do you say, people of God, that my way is hidden from the Lord? Think of the implications of that. This all-seeing, all-knowing God says the people of God were so long waiting on God to move that it began to tempt them to possibly envision God as a God who doesn't have the real capacity to see what they're going through. Translation, if God, if you could really see this, you would know that this is unacceptable. Another second of this weight, another second of this loneliness, another second of this loss of self-esteem, another second of this rejection, another second of this spiritual dryness, another second of a marriage that's that like this, another second of my child locked up, another second of my ministry that didn't work out the way I planned for it to work out would be unacceptable to you. So I know what's happening. With the aid of the enemy, we begin to toy with the idea that this must be a statement about God's real capacity. We begin to think maybe he's so high up in heaven, he can't understand how stuff goes on earth. And though we never say it because we're too scared to say God can't do it, but the waiting room begins to 
pour out of us thoughts about maybe there's something about this that's beyond what God says, beyond what God can do. If the enemy can get us to buy into the lie that apparently the people of God in Isaiah chapter 40 were tempted to buy into, that my way, my situation is hidden from his view, he's got us. On the other hand, he says, why do you say, O people of God, that my way is hidden from the Lord? And then why do you say that my valid claim, my request of him is being passed over, denied by my God? Translation, my request was valid. I've been serving God this many years. I told him what I needed. I have put my zipper up and put my skirt down. I've cleaned up my life. I'm living like I'm supposed to live. This is a valid request. I go to the right church. I serve in a ministry at the church. I've been reading this Bible. I've got the favor of God upon me. I've got friends in high places. This don't make no sense. It would have made sense back when I was still in my sinful mess, but I cleaned up my sinful mess most days, and so I'm expecting that God's favor would show up in a way. This must mean, and this is a deeper problem, this must be a statement not about his ability. Is this a statement about God's willingness? It's bad enough for me to toy with the idea that God may not be able. It's even worse when I think he's able. He just don't want to. Great trick of the enemy. It doesn't stop us from going to church doesn't stop us from being uh, an armor bearer to the pastor. It doesn't stop us from wanting the video camera at the 5 o'clock Saturday service, the 9 o'clock Sunday service, and the 11 o'clock Sunday service. It doesn't stop us from showing up here and singing on the praise team or sitting here and giving an offering. But it can begin to distort and pervert our view of this God we cannot see. And it becomes a God who the question is, is he able? And then the worst question, is he willing? It's the very trick that the enemy wants to get victory in. He wants us to believe that our waiting room experience is designed to destroy. When this word we come to find out lets us know our waiting room experience is designed to bless us. It is designed to give us what you don't even have before we got into the waiting room. What is the end of the story? I, I love to, on vacation, I love to read murder mysteries and novels. And so I'll buy a John Grisham or something where you got to read all the way to the end to know who uh, committed the murder. But because I bought the book and I can read it in whatever order I want to read the book in, I go to the back, find out who did the murder, then come to the front and work my way to the end. I looked at the end of the story here. What's the end of the story? It said those who are in the waiting room, those who wait on God and they fall and they utterly fail in their wait and their prayers are ugly and the wait is long and it seems like something that can't be of God. What does it say? The promises. It doesn't give us details. It says he renews their strength. It says they mount up on wings as eagles. It says they run and they're not yet weary. It says they walk and they don't faint. I believe you, God, but how does this hellish wait Get to that glorious blessing. What if he's God who says, I am not just getting you into the waiting room to teach you what another blessing looks like. What if I'm trying to get you to know me with intimacy and knowledge of who I am and how I am and how dependable I am and how funky your life can be and how 
faithful I can be in the midst of it. How I can hear your dry, ugly prayers and respond to them in my time. And the wait doesn't mean you didn't pray right. It meant that I'm trying to show you what it looks like for me to take care of you when there are no visible signs of my presence. When getting up in the morning and going to bed at night is your worship. But Lord, I didn't feel like lifting my hands, but you got up cussing and you got up complaining and you got up at the end of yourself and trusted that God, if I ever get out of this, I have no more juice to get me out. I'll only get out because you brought me out and bingo, you learned another side of his faithfulness. You've learned another side of his power. Think about it. The last time you were in the waiting room, you hated it. I hate it. Those who are in the waiting room right now, we hate it. We despise it. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. Stop and think about it. Whenever your last waiting room experience was, isn't it true that it'll take more than that to freak you out now? As a result of having gone through that waiting room, you may not know how strong God is in your next waiting room experience, but you know he is at least as strong, at least as able, at least as faithful as he was in your last one. How did you find that out? Because there was nothing left to do but pay attention to a God you can't see and to wait on him to move and to move in his way and to bring your naked, sincere self in your naked, sincere way. That's why a lot of times in dumb church, not this church, but in dumb church, there's this idea that if God is really moving in your life and you are really depending on him, there ought to be a big old Christian grin on your face all the time. In smart, real church, we find out that in the waiting room, he don't need anything from me. It's not like my smile activates his faithfulness. We get to come before him. I love this about the psalmist all through the psalms. It talks about how long, O oh Lord. It talks about my complaint is my food all day long. What if you thought the only time God was glorified was when you lifted your hands and praised and did a little dance around the church? What if he's saying, I love what it looks like when you slide in here with a headache, when you slide in here confused, when you come to me angry, when you come wondering who the real God is and what he looks like, but you keep coming to me. You keep seated in a waiting room that you can't explain it, and you have stopped faking it now. Look in the back row. There's the folk in the back row that used to sit on the front row. They used to, when they're not in the waiting room, their hands were lifted high and they had big Christian grin on their face. Now they said, I made it in here. Don't nobody put their hands on me. Don't give me a word. Don't put oil on me. I'm going to come late and I'm going to leave early. All I got is making it by the skin of my teeth. What does God do with that? He goes, look at you bringing your real you to me. Look at you, trusting me enough to bring your ugly self to you. Look at you, letting me smell your bad breath. Look at you, recognizing that my grace is bigger than your dryness. Look at you, understanding that faithfulness is the thing that's real now, but not visible now. Some of your most worshipful days well, the days you weren't grinning, the days you said, I ain't brushing this hair. And if anybody <laughs> says anything to me, I got something for them. <laughs> the days that your prayer was down to, oh, Lord Jesus, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Those days. 
What does the prophet say? He said, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He never faints. He never gets weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In John chapter 17, verse 3, when Jesus prayed on the night that he would be arrested, his prayer that he prayed with such intensity and agony and sincerity that it says he perspired as if he was hemorrhaging blood. In John chapter 17, verse 3, his prayer to the Father before he would be arrested within hours that night and begin the chain of events that he would purchase our salvation by it. He prayed to his Father and said, this, I declare, is real and eternal life, that they would know you and that they would know Jesus Christ, me, who you sent. The word that he used there in the original language of the New Testament, the word know, said, this is my prayer, this is my declaration, this is the goal, that our people wouldn't just receive blessing, but they would know us. The word that he picked is a word that literally means knowing someone through intimate experience. Doesn't mean intellectual knowledge. Doesn't mean I heard about them secondhand. It means the kind of knowing like you and your best friend, where you kind of knew them when you met them, but you really know them through the experiences you have been through and the variety and range of experiences. What if God says, you've seen what I look like when I bless you the way you want me to bless you. What if I want you to know me intimately through the experience of how I am, how my faithfulness looks, how my sovereignty looks, how my love and grace and mercy look when you're in the waiting room? I encourage you. The end of this story is but it says that those who wait upon the Lord, but it didn't start there. That's the one who renews their strength. But who are they? It's the ones that right above that, it says the ones that fall, the ones that fumble, the ones that fail, the ones who have no might. It says he renews their strength. You are qualified to receive the blessing of God's renewal if you are one of those who waits, if you are one of those who suffers the pain of it. Years ago, it's, it's often said a picture is worth a thousand words. Y years ago, I, uh, I was working at a church in Los Angeles, and they finally gave us, after years of working there, we got dental coverage. That meant I didn't just have to uh, play off problems in my mouth. I now had a shiny blue insurance card, and I could take it to my dentist, slap it down on that desk like a trump card in a bid whist game, and they'd have to fix whatever was wrong in my mouth. So I woke up one morning, soon after having gotten that insurance card, and I woke up with one of the worst pains you could possibly have. I couldn't explain it. It came out of nowhere. It was the kind of pain that makes you forget your salvation. It, it makes you forget that Jesus is alive and well, that I couldn't go out and preach the gospel. I was focused on this pain. This was something that was unacceptable, and because I had things to do for the kingdom of God, I got down on my knees. I said, I know how to deal with this. I got down on my knees, and I prayed, and I said, Father God, in the name of Jesus, would you take this away? I got Got up and dusted my knees off expecting that it would be gone quick fast and in a hurry it was worse after I prayed I tried every remedy I tried every scripture I rebuked demons out of there and whatnot I gargled with salt water used ambasol and everything and nothing happened I said no this is unacceptable I can't be who God called me to be and do what God called me to do but I remembered I now got something in my wallet was a shiny blue insurance card I got a dentist who loves me I got a car that could get me over there so I drove to the dentist office went up to the seventh floor saw my friend the dentist she's been a friend for years and the 
best dentist in town. I never needed her for much. All I needed was a checkup and for her to tell me my teeth look beautiful and come on back in six months. Anytime I'd come when I walked in, they would make such a fuss over me. Is that Dr. Elmore there? And even though I would politely try to go take a seat in the waiting room, they would say, no, come this way. We'll rearrange the schedule for you. I know you're busy. I would play it out and say humbly to the people in the waiting room, forgive me, forgive me, and walk on with the dentist, get my needs met. I was used to the dentist being my friend who would meet my needs, take away my pain, solve my problem, and do it quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I was so glad that now my shiny blue insurance card meant that she could get paid big money to take care of my problem. When I got there, I slapped that card down and I told the receptionist, I got coverage now and I'm in pain to die for. So I really, this is an emergency one. I expected she'd say, let's stop everything. Let me escort you back there now. Let's give you some sedatives or some surgery that's going to make sure you don't have to feel this pain. Instead, with her 32 shining white teeth, she smiled at me and said, oh, it must be terrible. Take a seat in the waiting room. I thought it was just a formality, like I do with God. I believe that if I got away, all of us are willing to wait on God a day or a week. Yes, God, I trust you, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help my unbelief. And underneath our breath, I'm giving you three days to do this. If you could get Jesus up from a grave in three days, I am trusting that you can solve my little problem in these three days. And I need you to get on with it starting now. As I sat there in the waiting room, I assumed I know what the problem is. The dentist can't see me, just like I say. I said, I, I know she can't see me. If she knew I was here, I don't know what this lady's tripping about here. Something's got, the devil must have got a hold of her. But if the dentist, my friend, sees and sees my agony, the dentist finally came out. I stood up going, oh, doc, there you are. I'm so glad to see you. I got horrible pain, and I started walking toward her. She said, yes, they told me you were out here. I said, thank you for coming to get me. She said, I said, it's terrible. Can you explain to me? Why is that? And she said, it must be horrible, and I'm going to take care of you. I said, I know you always do. She said, make yourself comfortable in the waiting room. I sat in the waiting room. I waited, and the enemy began to play tricks on me. I got it in my mind. I don't need to put up with this. I sat there believing, wait a minute, this is a dental building. There's other dentists up in here. I got my card and got to thinking about the idea. I'll slam the door loudly. I'll go down the hall to another dentist. I'll send a letter back saying, you had your chance, but I had to go elsewhere to get my need met. And then it hit me. Starting all over with somebody else would mean filling out forms and them getting to know me and me getting to know them. It would mean them doing x-rays. It would mean that it would be starting from scratch. And right there in the waiting room for my dentist, I got a parable of what it's like when we wait on God. It's there is no other God. You ever been in the waiting room and wished he was another kind of God, but he's this kind of God. And you got to wait on that kind of God, even when you wish he was another kind of God. You're all I got. What if he's saying, I can show you how I am when I'm all you got better than I can show you when you got a plan A a plan B a plan C you got to hook up another way as I sat in that waiting room I noticed something that I had never noticed before I'd never spent enough time in the waiting room I looked up on the wall and there was a corner of the waiting room that was full of plaques and diplomas and certificates it was my dentist's credentials 
showed that she was a graduate with honors of Meharry Dental School. It showed that she was a fellow of the American Dental Association. It had letters and pictures from satisfied patients attesting to the fact that she had solved their problem and met their need. I couldn't see the dentist, but just like in the waiting room waiting on God, I did have black ink on white paper. Sometimes in the waiting room, all you've got is the word of God and you've got to preach it to yourself. You ever been there? cussing out of this side of your mouth and though he slay me yet will I trust him out of this side of your mouth I can't understand you God I don't know why it's like this and Lord I believe you'll never leave me or forsake me it doesn't change how you feel but it does change where you focus and it means in the waiting room if you don't take advantage of God's word and the truth of it when I can't see him then we've missed out on an opportunity to stand in faith on a God who says Every word I speak is true. Eventually, as I sat in that room and all I had dying in my pain was the recollection that this dentist had served me faithfully in the past. That she is somebody who is well able to meet this need. And I really don't understand why the wait is so long. But I'll have to accept that if I get out of here alive, it'll be because she did something up in this mouth. So it is with God. I challenge you. What if you let it be hard? What if you don't have to drink it away or smoke it away or deny it away or throw a scripture at it? What if all that's happening is we've got a God who says, I'll renew your strength. I'm not promise you the blessing that you ask for. I may do it. I may not do it. But I'll renew your strength. What if he's a God who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, even while you wait, even while you don't understand, even while you don't like it. Even if you die, all that's going to happen is you come and live with me forever. What if I'm a God who renews your strength my way? Eventually, as I sat in that waiting room, dying, and I gave up any hopes that she'd come for me, out she came. She said, Dr. Ron, come. I got up. My anger didn't go away. I wanted some explanation, but I followed her. <laughs> I wanted to lodge a complaint, but I sat down where she told me to sit down. I humbled myself. I went with the program. Why? Because though I was angry, though I was confused, though I was in pain, the one upon whom I waited was there. And I could trust that she would do something. I encourage you. This God we have is a God who says, I am there, even when you wait. What if you don't have to put the pressure on yourself to wait pretty, but you do have to wait? What if he's a God who says, I'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll know me like you never knew me before. You can trust me. I am showing you not just a blessing, but I'm showing you the heart of the one who blesses you. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we look to you. Now, Lord, we ask that you would bless us to be those who are willing and able to trust you and wait by faith. To worship you with sincerity, with truthfulness, being honest with how we are and who we are, and being honest about who you are and how you are as we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.
Come on, give him a big hand, would you please? Wow. Wow. What he amazing. Wasn't he amazing? Wow. Wow. Have a seat for just a minute. Can you give me can you give me can you give me ten minutes? Can I get, let me see, 10 hands. Can I get 10 fingers? You got me 10? Okay, good. Yeah, I, I, I really, no, listen, I really wanted you to do what you wanted to do, and, and I really enjoyed you. I, I like them to get to know people. Make sure you know, it's my water, your water, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to get to know people, and I, I think it's so, so wonderful um, to see somebody make such sacrifice and to be so committed for so long. How long have you been in ministry now? Be about 35 years this fall. Are, are you are you on? Oh, you're not. You're, oh, oh, sorry. That's right. oh, about 35 years in full time. <laughs> I don't know where that mic went. It, it's okay. We'll find it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how long again? 35 years. 35 years. Um, I, I'm amazed that you're going to Africa, and that's that's a big that's a big deal. Uh, what what's the response you get from preachers or people? Preachers in particular, churches. Yeah. We're, getting, we're getting a lot of supportive, encouraging responses. One of the surprising responses from a number of them that is well-intentioned and yet in some ways a disappointment to me is that they are pastors and churches and friends of ours who have ministered there for a long time. And their response is, of course we're going to get in on what uh, you and Eladrian are going to go do in Africa. And because we love you, we don't need to hear about what it is. We don't need to hear about what's happening over there. We're going to do it because of our love for you. And as much as I appreciate their love for us, there's a part of me that wishes there was this kind of epidemic of great desire to see God use us in fulfilling the Great Commission around the world. I'd rather that it would be something bigger than just your love for us and your desire to make sure we've got enough food to eat and all that, but that it is true partnership, as I sense with you and the ways in which I know you're working very hard to stir and inspire more African-Americans to global missions. So it's been a mixed bag. It's been people who say yes, and we thank God for that, but their yes is oftentimes not a yes to our mission. It's a yes to the missionary. It's really great. On the screen, there is a, a website. It's, it's uwm.org, and it takes you through a couple of steps, and you can select missionary, and then you can put up Ron Elmore, and they'll take you to where he is. So you can note that in your stuff, and we'll talk about that. You can take it down, guys. We'll put it back up later. But let me, let me say this to you real quick. Um, tell me about, for you, now you used to be a dancer. In my first career, all I ever meant to be was a movie star. So I... I took acting lessons, I took dance lessons, I took singing lessons because I planned to take Hollywood by storm one day and I wanted to be well equipped to do it. So uh, I, what took off career-wise for me the most was dancing. So I started training in New York at the Dance Theater of Harlem. I ended up touring in Broadway shows and dancing on television and films in Europe. And then finally landing in Hollywood where the last thing I did, I never did become a movie star, obviously, but I danced in a, uh, a movie called The Blues Brothers. And about that time, I deepened my relationship with the Lord. I began to volunteer at my church and I stopped going to audition some kind of way. Never became a movie star, but I ended up a preacher of the gospel and a psychologist uh, discipling others through the problems of their I lives. I think I'm going to go back and watch the Blues Brothers again. <laughs> so so you, you dance for Harlem? What, dance what Theater of Harlem is a, a, a dance company that started in New York back right after the 
assassination of Martin Luther King and has toured the world, uh, an all-black dance company of kids from the ghetto who are trained in ballet and become some of the premier dancers in the dance world. And then you danced in France for the group then? The, the Moulin Rouge, that was nightclub dancing. Uh, I went to Europe traveling, on a, uh, backpacking through Europe as a lot of college kids did, and I loved it so much I wanted to stay after the summer was over. So I went knocking on doors uh, to theaters and asked if they needed any dancers. And I went to uh, the most famous nightclub in all of uh, Europe, the Moulin Rouge in Paris, and they had lost a male dancer the day before, and I got the job. So I stayed there for all that time, left there, and went to L.A. and uh, started auditioning for movies and all of that and television and never getting the part until one time my agent said they had been scouring the country looking for a young black actor to co-star in a big-budget film uh, to play the part of a white man's uh, son, black son that he had that he didn't know he had. And they looked all over the country to find one, and it came down to me and another actor who didn't have as many credits as I, who had only done a Burger King commercial, and I knew I was going to get the job. They did a screen test with him and a screen test with me. We, I was in the waiting room for two weeks, and the other guy got the job. His name is Denzel Washington, <laughs> and that's the first movie he ever did. So at that point, I said, that's enough of this, and I'll go do something else. That's you know, how you know, you know he, goes, he goes to a church I preach at quite a yes. bit, West Angeles. Yeah. And uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> it wasn't hilarious then. <laughs> I always say when he wins an Academy Award that he stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Denzel's a faithful church member there. He, he really is. What's interesting, too, is... Um, now, let me t we didn't talk about this in the other services either. Your daughter is in, in movies. She plays... What does she play now? She's, she, uh, she's on a, a cable TV show on TNT called The Last Ship. And uh, it's about a battleship that has the cure for an epidemic that has destroyed 80% of the world. And she's one of the commanding officers uh, on that ship named Alicia Granderson. It comes on in the summertime on TNT. Some so you know she actually yeah. went further yeah. in the career I wanted than I did. And then my oldest daughter is a child psychologist uh, in Atlanta. So she went the other direction in my career. And then my son wants to be on stage as a stand-up comedian, thinks he can rap and sing, so he took after his mom and wanted to be in music. <laughs> so all of them carry a piece of us and are doing what we never got around to doing. I'm going to do this real fast because I, I promised you 10 minutes, but does anybody have a question you'd like to ask him? I'll take maybe a couple, a couple of questions back here in the back. Anybody else? Real fast. You know, I'm, I'm going to close the shift here in a second. Is that it? All right. What's your question? Um, you talked about how you were waiting in the waiting room for the role you were trying to get. So what's the difference between knowing what God says no or waiting in the waiting room for God to say yes? Yeah. That's really something. Uh, a lot of times, the way I would like to know God's yes or his no is I'd like to know up front while I'm in the waiting room. Sometimes I sense no answer from God, and how we know what his answer is is what happens. We find out. And that God is a God who is so excellent at communication, he can do it in the language of words. That's not my experience of God, is God speaking audibly to me. But I know a lot of believers, that is their experience. But he's such a good communicator, he can speak in silence. He can speak by action. He can speak by wait and see. And so I cannot obligate him because I would rather him send me a message in an email or hear his voice in my ear. He might do it that way. 
or he might choose to do it by find out what his answer is by what happens in the final analysis. I want to read something from online that was sent to me while you were preaching. It said, oh my God, what a wonderful sermon. The, the days ahead for Dr. Ron and his wife are going to be amazing. Uh, That's from some online folks watching you. I think it's great. Oh, I, love that. I, I just think that this is great. This is his last sermon uh, in the States. Last one. This is it. And then he goes to Africa. Um, your support is completely, you have to, you're, you have to raise your own support. We raise, yep. The Lord has blessed. In the last six months, I Holy shut man. down my private practice. I uh, uh, stopped uh, taking speaking engagements and this and that. And our ministry has been going around the country asking pastors and churches and individuals to partner with us in our ministry. We have to raise the funds for our own living. There's no paycheck. There's no product that we're selling. And we have to raise the funds for the ministry that we will be doing with African leaders there in Cape Town. And God has been such a faithful God. And I have learned to trust him when I am at his disposal and subject to what he stirs up in the hearts of other believers. And I found out that what he's able to do is take care of of missions ministry right around us, which is powerful mission ministry and missions ministry 10,000 miles away from home. And the way he does it in every case is there are some who do the going and there's some who do the giving and praying. And if all of us will slip into our slot and collaborate together on the giving, the going, and the praying, he fulfills his promise and we fulfill his great commission all around the world. So we've seen him do it. We're right at, as I was sharing with you, we're right at about 10% people who have signed on the dotted line. We're right at about 90% support raised for uh, our two-year initial commitment. And we are getting on the plane on uh, uh, March. I can't remember. Is it the fifth? We, we landed Cape Town on March 16th, and we're trusting God, sitting in the waiting room, even as I'm sitting in Overcoming by Faith, trusting him to provide everything that we need, either more provision or to show us how to work it with the provision he's already provided. But we feel as if this is an opportunity, not just for us to go and do good, but it is an opportunity for somebody with 35 years of professional ministry experience who preaches because it's my job to do, to get to have a fresh picture of the God that I've been preaching about, to have to depend upon him like a child, to have to be a 58-year-old who's in kindergarten trusting God to do what I can't do. How many of you think we should put him in our missions budget? Think we ought to do that? We ought to do it. And so we won't be one of the people who say we're going to do it, won't do it, right? So that means that you are going to give to missions, right, on our missions line. And I also want to encourage you, I'm going to put his website up because, you know, I don't mind you looking him up and some of you may want to do something. Click up, pick up, click, click the button again, guys. Put it back in there. It's www. But at wuwm.org. Yep. United World Missions, uwm.org. Select missionaries and look for his name, Ron Elmore, name. and then you can tell find him that way. Where we're going. Tell your story and everything else. So thank you so much. My did pleasure. you did you love Brother Ron? Give him a big hand. Yes, Come on. Thank you, Thank you, brother. Thank you. One more time. Come on, make him feel really welcome. We love you, man. Good job. Great job. Father, I thank you for all that's been said and done today. We leave with faith, trusting you. We come, Lord God, to a time where we pray for people in this room who may say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've heard a sermon today, a message that I've been in the waiting room, and maybe what I need to do is receive Jesus in this waiting room.
I need to start a walk with the living God. And so, Lord, let this be that moment for them, the moment they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to be changed. I want to be saved. I don't want to be the same. If that's your prayer, if that's your desire, with every head bowed for your privacy, just raise your hand. Say, that's me, Pastor. What you've heard today made me see my need for God. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else says, pray for me. I see you, you, you. I see several of you, maybe 10, 15 of you raising your hand all over the room saying, Jesus, I see you. Thank you. I see you. Father, I see you, sister. I see all of you. Father, I see you, my sister. I see you, my brother. God, touch these hands, these hands, these people who raise their hearts to you and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Let this be that transforming moment. I also ask you, Lord God, to touch these who raise their hands, but also pray for the Holy Spirit to let there be a change of mind in this room for people who've been frustrated because they've been waiting. And so we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. We also pray, Lord God, secondly, for the people who have been on the outside wondering. I pray you break through for them today. Let this be a healing moment in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.